There are tons of podcasts on the internet where the host is underqualified. This is not one of those podcasts. Mark Skelton has a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in clinical mental health counseling, and currently working on his doctorate in clinical psychology. And he has over 10 years of working in the field of psychology. Qualified. Qualified. If it's mental health, psychology, empowerment, and self-improvement, he knows his stuff. During this show, you'll learn about general topics of psychology concepts and theories. Everything from neuroscience, psychology of fear, brain foods, psychoanalysis. What is therapy? What is depression? This is the Skelton Report. And this is your host, Mark Nathaniel Skelton. All right, welcome to the Skelton Report podcast for the people. This is your host, Mark Nathaniel Skelton. Today, we're going to be talking about brain diseases, neuropathology, neurological disorders, and the like. But before we get there, I want to welcome anybody that's joining us for the first time. You are our honored guest. Thanks for tuning in. Also, if you are returning, you know I appreciate the love. just want to say, hey, we're, we're about to make it through my first year of doctorate studies. To God be the glory on that. Feeling great. It's good to be done. Thanks for Coming along with me in this journey, um, just want to also mention that we've got some topics and some interviews coming up from some colleagues. We're going to be talking about mental health and some really good topics. Also, I'm doing a little research for us on psychoanalysis and maybe how, you know, what's the psychoanalytic view on racism? You know, I'm, there's some great black um, theorists out there as well found out about one France, Dr. France Fanon and Dr. Amos Wilson who's going to help us out with that. We'll give some interpretations on their literatures and also, you know, been looking at microaggressions, come across that in class. I know you probably have heard that term and cultural appropriation. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at some psychological interpretations of of those definitions and what that means. So I think just keep your keep your ear out for those. And as we get into today's topic, once again, we're talking about neuropathology and this isn't as you know, heavy as we think. We're going to keep it pretty basic, but it's pretty common. And what I'm talking about is terms like epilepsy and multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, TBIs, all that. I know you've probably heard those terms before. And what I want to do is just kind of lay them out, give you a basic definition of, of them so we can make more sense out of them and just, you know, get more awareness for your personal enrichment. So like, like I said, you know, just a basic overview, some common symptoms, uh, the ones we'll be talking about is stroke, epilepsy, TBI, dementia. We've heard that before. And um, yeah, some of their symptoms, the effects, maybe some of the statistics and preventative measures. So let's go ahead and get started. And let's start off with some key terms. So in order to know that you're suffering or someone is suffering from a neurological disorder they have to go through some type of diagnostic it's just like going to the mechanic to get your car checked on right like 
you're driving, you have a certain light on, an orange light, an engine light, you take it in, you hear some rattling. These are like the symptoms. You'll take it in to a mechanic and they'll run a diagnostic and they'll let you know what's working and what's not working. It is the same sense for, you can think about that for when it comes to diagnosing uh, neurological disorders. And when I say neurological disorders, it's just diseases or conditions, abnormal conditions of the brain and the spinal cord. Disease by definition is a disorder or abnormal condition that produces certain signs and symptoms. A symptom is a sign of a disease, either expressed subjectively, meaning um, it's intangible. You know how they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So it's subjective. Some symptoms are subjective and some are objective. So they're tangible. You can actually see them. They manifest and they're, they're captured on tests and measurements. Etiology. So once again, just give you some key terms. These are Phrases to know when you're talking about neurological disorders. Etiology, that's just another way of saying the underlying causes of a disease. Uh, usually distinguished between its organic or biological and its functional or psychological properties. Pathology is the biological underpinnings or functions. So if I say, you know, a car's running, we see a car running, we know some of the underpinnings of that is a driver putting his foot to a pedal, an engine, the gas is playing a role. So when we talk about pathology, that just means what are some of the underpinnings that's making this disease happen in an individual. Also, another term to familiarize yourself with is syndrome. A syndrome is a set of symptoms occurring together. You know, the Greek word means running together for syndrome. And it may have different causes, but present in the same fashion. So... The analogy I use for this is we all have an idea of what a burger is. A burger is kind of like a syndrome, okay, a cheeseburger. It's a syndrome. There's, there's certain ingredients that's needed, you know, maybe cheese, um, beef patty, could be a bun or a sesame seed bun or ketchup, mayo, maybe mustard, some people may use lettuce. See, at the end of the day, they're different ingredients. These are the symptoms. These different ingredients are put together to make a burger, but we have an idea of what a burger is, and that's the same thing for syndrome. There's certain symptoms that are grouped together to make a burger, all right, which is different than a hot dog or a wrap, right? That they're, Those would be their own type of syndromes based on their ingredients. And so just kind of keep that in mind when we talk about syndrome because dementia is an actual syndrome, made up of symptoms certain amount of symptoms make up that syndrome so we'll get into that a little more when we talk about dementia and also diagnosis so in order to identify a pathology or some condition or disorder it has to go through a certain investigation once again of those symptoms and our syndromes to qualify and sometimes for example many infections Certain infections cause fevers, uh, even with, you know, COVID-19 is kind of still going on. And, you know, there's certain fee, you know, an infection may cause a fever or a headache or fatigue. But, all, you know, many mental health disorders cause sadness, anxiety and sleep problems. But a differential diagnosis looks at the possible disorders that could be causing the symptoms. 
All right, so kind of checking out the different symptoms that are presenting themselves and arriving to a conclusion on what could be causing it. So these are things to just keep in mind to know about. These are terms that are thrown around so that you can understand how people arrive to the different disorders that they have. So we're going to start off with some of the standalone ones and then we'll end with a discussion about dementia. So first, you know, last episode on Skeleton Report, we talked about strokes and World Health Organization talked about this being the second leading cause of death worldwide. The CDC announcing that there's 800,000 strokes per year. And strokes are basically when oxygenated blood is prevented to getting to the brain. Typically, this is through a blockage, which is an ischemic stroke or hemorrhagic, meaning that a bleeding took place, usually resulting from an aneurysm. All right, and what results is dead brain cells and infarct and, and whatnot. So based on where this stroke takes place in the brain, whether it's in the left hemisphere or the right or in the brain stem, there's going to be a certain presentation of symptoms, cognitive, emotional, behavioral. And based on that and where the stroke took place, you could tell that it was a stroke. You know, there's preventative measures that you can take, but there's no real cure for a stroke. So if you want more details on the stroke, I want you to check out last week's episode, Don't Have a Stroke. That's what it's titled. Um, so stroke, just so that you know, and I'm saying that to say, a stroke is a type of neurological disorder. So that's one. Uh, another one is, have you heard the term TBI? TBI is a traumatic brain injury. According to the CDC, a TBI is a major cause of death and disability. 61,000 uh, TBI related deaths occur in the USA. And that is from a statistic in 2019. So once again, a TBI is an injury involving impact to the brain. So it could be from football, high contact sports, boxing, car accident, or, or the military, or maybe a military experience. So a TBI, there are two types. This is something that I learned. There's two types. There's closed TBIs and open TBIs. And when I say closed, that means that, that there was a blow to the head or a bump or some type of jolt. When I say open, that means the skull was actually penetrated. So you can have a TBI, an open TBI type, and that means that could be a result of a gunshot or from the peculiar case of Phoenix Gage, who was an American railroad foreman, all right, back in the 1800s, known for having survived. He survived a traumatic brain injury when an iron rod shot through his head and his skull. All right. And he actually lived after that. Go check it out. Like this whole skull, his whole, this whole iron rod was through his skull and he survived. And it, it basically injured some areas of his left frontal lobe. And it kind of opened up the door to research in this area and understanding how certain areas, anatomical areas of the brain impact behavior. Um, also, there's a coup contra coup injury that could take place, and that's basically the brain doing kind of a pendulum dance 
inside the skull. Um, let's say you hit the front and then it kind of bounces back to the back part of the skull and injuries can take place that way too. So the severity levels of TBIs are medium or moderate, mild, moderate, and severe. I'm going to get some stats from the uh, Department of Defense. Numbers on traumatic brain injuries is from 2014. Basically, severe traumatic injuries happen at about 0.5%. So it's pretty rare. Penetrating ones, once again, open style, meaning maybe, you know, basically the, the skull is penetrated. That happens not too often either, thank the Lord. So that's about 0.5%. Uh, the majority of TBIs that people have are mild ones. So that's it's coming out at 83%. So more than three-fourths of TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, are mild. And so some of the criteria where they rate uh, the, you know, the severity is that whether you lose consciousness. So we're learning about that in class. Consciousness is more like your attention, all your senses being synchronized into what you experience, like you listening now or you driving or thinking. And, you know, it's really actually kind of hard to define what consciousness is. But if you do lose consciousness for up to 30 minutes, that means it was a mild concussion. Um, also, if it's moderate when it's more than 30 minutes and under 24 hours, and it's severe when you have a concussion that's over 24 hours. Also, there's this phrase called post-traumatic anti-grade amnesia. All right, and that means that after the trauma taking place or the blow that causes uh, the TBI, when you can't form new memories, that's called antegrade amnesia. So if that happens to you for retrograde means you can't you you forget about old memories. That's what uh, retrograde amnesia is. But this is talking more about antegrade, meaning after the event you're having difficulty remembering new memories. So if that and confusion takes place for a day that's mild, if it's a day to seven days where you can't form new memories, that's moderate. And if it's over seven days, it's severe. Also, there's something to know about called the Glasgow Coma Score, so GCS. And basically, the lower that you get in on this scale, the worse or more severe the TBI is. So there's three areas that they mainly go over. Like I said, we're not going to get super in-depth. I just want you to have a basic understanding of these different neurological disorders. So the three areas that they go over is eye-opening, motor response, so how do you how you move, and verbal response, how you respond to command. So like what year is it? Can you answer that? If you're asked to do something, can you respond to that? Motors more so... Can you obey commands? Can you localize? Can you move? Can you adjust your body? The less that you can do, the, le the lower score you get. And an eye opening is basically like, do you, can you open your eyes to speech? Can you do it spontaneously on your own? Does it hurt when you do it? So once again, the lower scores that you have on eye opening, motor response, and verbal response, the more severe that the TBI is.
Um, let's see. Also, the path of the injury that it takes through the body. It's focal means a contusion. That's where it started, where the impact took place, which can result in bruising of the brain tissue or a hemorrhage, meaning bleeding. And also, it can diffuse, meaning it can spread. Effects can spread to other areas of the brain. Some secondary uh, impacts or results of a TBI are, is edema where there could be swelling due to excessive fluid trapped in the body tissue where this took place or inflammation or swollenness. There are many factors that go into why a TBI could be severe for someone and mild for another person, the same type of thing. So there's... Um, neurobiological factors so neurobiological health neurocognitive functioning uh, you know psychological and health wellness and family background and all the life quality of life so all these can play a role into the severity of a TBI prevention wise it's really self-explanatory what I'm learning basically you just need to wear appropriate headgear and uh, also learn ways to prevent especially for older adults um, they recommend, I believe the CDC recommends that you talk to your physician about fall risk. And I thought it was interesting that they tell you to, you know, get your eyes checked regularly because that can contribute to falls, especially as you get older. So that's, that's TBI, traumatic brain injury. So a little information on that neurological disorder. Uh, the next one is epilepsy so if you heard of epilepsy and seizure let's help separate those out because they kind of go together but they're a little different so a seizure is a burst of uncontrolled electrical activity between brain cells so this is according to john hopkins medicine and when this electrical activity when it's uncontrolled it goes off and it causes temporary abnormal abnormalities in the muscles and its movement, so stiffness and twitching and limpness and all these behaviors and sensations. And basically, you have to understand that your body, your nervous system, you know, communicates or operates through electrochemical properties. That just means that there's charges, there's pluses and minuses that go off in order to move a message down the line, if I could put it that way. And, and it involves chemicals. So like neurotransmitters, when you hear about dopamine, these are chemicals. And in order for these chemicals to move, there's certain charges, once again, that, that take it down the line. But when this, you know, misfires or is uncontrolled, it could happen all at the same time. There's a certain method to it. But if it gets out of line, then this is what results in a seizure. Now, the thing is, Epilepsy is a group of disorders characterized by the presence of epileptic seizures. Now, a seizure, once again, this is John Hopkins Medicine, is a single occurrence. To have a seizure, that's just, you know, when this uncontrolled electro electrical activity happens. Whereas epilepsy, and this is the distinguishing factor, is a neurological condition characterized by two or more unprovoked seizures. Okay, so that's what sets it apart. Epilepsy is when you have two or more seizures that are unprovoked. 
So an epileptic seizure, once again, they're sudden, um, they're transient, and they, they alter the behavior, and they're caused by abnormal excessive electrical charges. So some of the causes, um, they're a little unclear. Like, you know how you can say lung cancer, you can connect that directly to smoking cigarettes, per se. It's not that clear cut with the causes of epilepsy but however you can link it to genetic or gene or hereditary factors congenital factors meaning a birth defect as well as it can be acquired through other neurological disorders that one may be suffering through so like for instance having a stroke having a stroke may increase your chances of having epilepsy or a tumor or some type of infection these type of things that are unrelated can cause seizures and epilepsy there's two types uh, partial and generalized and this just means that when it's partial that means the seizure happens or starts in a localized area so what i mean by that is you know how you have four brain lobes primary brain lobes so the occipital is where you see and the frontal is where our executive decisions are and your temporal is more on the left side of your head and, and parietal so basically, it, t it starts in one of those areas, and it can be complex or simple, meaning when it's complex, um, you're, you have altered awareness and behaviors, and you're more confused, and you may lose consciousness. And when it's simple, you still remain alert, but you're going to be jerking limbs. You may have nausea and deja vu. The second type is generalized, and what's different from partial is how partial takes place in a certain localized area of the brain, generalized seizures are those that involve the entire brain and actually your consciousness is lost so it's more like a power outage and there's four subtypes within their generalized myoclonic means just a sudden muscle jerks in a particular area of your body two tonic or atonic is when you um, have a seizure to the point where you drop and fall wherever you may be the third is the, is the absence one which means you're going to be more in a trance-like state and tonic clonic is the fourth type it's grand mal and that's when you kind of have a, a contraction of your whole body your muscles and then expansion and contractions kind of oscillates back and forth between those okay so those are the two major types and then their subtypes um, in order to diagnose ep epilepsy of course you want to get the history of the patient uh, thorough history and then get an idea of what happened before the epilepsy? So what are what were some of the sensations that the patient was experiencing? What kind of motor movements or sensations and speech change just occurred during the episode? And then after the seizure, so post like what type of experience were they having with the confusion or fatigue? It's helpful to know these things in order to diagnose epilepsy. Also, um, EEG is what's used. And a EEG, if you heard that phrase, that's something that tracks brain activity. It's, what, it's under the umbrella of neuroimaging, which is basically like brain x-rays, if I can use that in quotes. It just helps you kind of see inside the skull and what's going on there. The other types you probably heard is like CT or MRI or spec. So these tools are used to help track brain activity and see what's going on when ep epilepsy occurs. 
this is pretty interesting what I learned as well. There's actually epilepsy monitoring units, EMUs, and these are inpatient settings where seizures are, so again, I'll put these in quotes, encouraged to occur when you're kind of when you're connected to the EEG machines. And this once again helps um, researchers and scientists and medical professors professionals get a better idea of how epilepsies occur. Currently there's anti epileptic drugs and they can be effective because of their sedative nature. Alright, so that's a little bit of background on epilepsy and give us a better understanding what that is. So let's go ahead and move into dementia and talk about this syndrome. It's a clinical syndrome that involves cognitive, so some of the way you're thinking, your emotions, the way you're feeling, and behavior, so the way you're acting, changes that are due to a neurological disease. So dementia, this is from alzheimers.org, is a general term for, and these are the symptoms. Remember we were talking about earlier, dementia is the syndrome. These The symptoms are loss of memory, language, problem solving, you know, problem solving areas, so executive functioning, and other thinking abilities that are severe enough, and this is the defining factor, to interfere with your daily life. That's what makes it dementia, because we're going to talk a little bit about MCIs, which are malcognitive impairments, but they're not to the point where they interfere with your daily life. So these are what we call neurodegenerative diseases. So you're losing qualities, you're declining certain abilities. But I got to make this point here this is not due to just normal aging normal aging of course you may not be as quick or sharp as you were when you was younger but this is totally different from that so so let's talk a little bit about the stages overall stages so i'm learning this from class once again we want to give a shout out to dr parks on some of this information and um yeah, so let's talk about some of the stages. So basically, I thought this was interesting. There's a preclinical stage, and this is what they call the silent phase. The brain changes without measurable symptoms. So it's not really noticeable, but it's starting to happen. The individual themselves may notice the change, but it's not really detectable in tests, and others around them may not really able to point it out. Um once again, we talked about malcognitive impairments. These are changes. So you might experience some amnesia as well and um, memory loss. But at the end of the day, when you have malcognitive impairment, this does not disrupt or interfere with your daily life. When dementia is when that begins to happen. So there's mild, moderate, moderately severe and severe. All right. And that's when you get cognitive impairment that actually impacts your daily living. So Alzheimer's, also known as AD, is the sixth leading cause of death in the US. And it is the most common form of dementia. So 60 to 70% of dementia is Alzheimer's disease. And it's actually caused by plaques and tangles. So they have, this is plaques. These are fragments of protein called beta amyloid peptides, and they're found outside the neurons, outside the brain cells. And then the other side of the, the B of this is tangles. And these are abnormal collections of tau protein found inside 
the neuron. All right. So I, what I'm learning in a lot of science, they don't know if the, the plaque and the tangles are the result of Alzheimer's or if it is causing Alzheimer's disease. It's still a mystery. And honestly, unfortunately, there is no um, modifying agent for Alzheimer's disease. So really no treatment per se right now. That's an area we can learn more about. When it comes to Alzheimer's, what's happening is there's major brain shrinkage. And sometimes it hurts to even look at some of the brain examples because they're all sunk in in the area. So the cortex shrivels. And you know how we mentioned how there's a lot of memory loss? Well, that's because the area of the brain that's attributed to memory, the hippocampus, gets a lot smaller as well. The ventricles, there's I believe four main ventricles that hold cerebral fluid. Those get bigger, but this isn't a good thing, though. Uh, there's a mystery on why, but it suggests that it's due to the surrounding brain tissues dying. Unfortunately, women make up a larger share of Alzheimer's disease patients and are at greater risk of developing diseases as they age. And uh, the point was brought out, too, is typically women live longer, too. So that may be part of it. Once again, not that getting older, you start having dementia. That's not automatic. It's just when you're older, you're more likely to get dementia. Uh, also, you're at a greater risk for dementia if your parents are senior hereditary or if it's in your gene background as well. So that's a little information on Alzheimer's. So we're still under the dementia umbrella. Another type of dementia is Parkinson's disease. If you've ever heard of that PD, got some information from the Mayo Clinic on that as well. Um, Parkinson's disease so some signs and some symptoms are tremors if you've heard that slow movement rigid so it's difficult to move the muscles impaired, impaired posture balance because it impacts that cerebellum area and loss of automatic movement what I mean by that is blinking it's a little more difficult to smile uh, you know sway your hands while you're walking etc also you may notice some speech and writing changes also if you want to Get a, a look of this. Uh, Muhammad Ali does a interview in 1991 on MSNBC with Brian Gumbel. And you can kind of see the reality of Parkinson's disease. You can kind of see some of the rigidness, some of you know how he's sitting, um, some of his speech. And you can actually see these play out in there. So once again, when we talk about Parkinson's disease, we're talking about a motor disease, meaning movement. And actually, Parkinson's disease, what I'm learning, starts with the motor problems first. So the, the, tremor, the tremors, the gait, the um, difficulty moving, that happens first before the cognitive dementia. So the losing of the executive skills that begin to impair your daily living. Treatment-wise, scientists believe that Parkinson's disease is due to a lack of dopamine. So that's a neurotransmitter um, and it's releasing the substantia nigra. So this is the area of the midbrain. You don't necessarily need to get lost in that, but basically I'm saying that to say a lot of medication kind of supplements the dopamine 
to help make up for it. So that's one treatment. Another I learned is deep brain stimulation, which I thought was pretty interesting, where there's actually surgically implanting a battery-operated medical device similar to a pacemaker to deliver electrical stimulations to specific areas in the brain that control movement. All right, so caution to that is that just know that be careful because the placement of the stimulator could cause bleeding or infection in the brain. So there are some treatments to uh, Parkinson's disease and that's what makes it different. It's more of the movement pieces and kind of the rigid movement that, that distinguishes its symptoms to the syndrome of dementia. Also, Another type of dementia is, I believe, multiple sclerosis, and this is known as the demyelinating disease or autoimmune disease. So, Mayo Clinic lets us know that basically MS is potentially a disabling disease of the brain and spinal cord and nervous system. It's a disease in which the immune system actually eats away and turns on itself on the protective covering of the nerves. So you, you got to understand this. So MS is when you got to know that nerves have protective layers called myelin that helps protect the nerve cells as well as help speed up the messaging between nerve cells. It's almost kind of like a cord that covers the wires. Now imagine if the the cord was all kind of beat up in the and chewed apart and the wires are starting to stick out you know whatever that cord is leading to probably won't work as well because some of the exposure and kind of ripped up cord plastic that's supposed to be covering it right it's that same image when it comes to your neurons when it's more exposed and the myelin isn't as laid on thick as it's supposed to then you're going to have kind of misfirings or you won't fire your messages as quick and it will be reflected in your behavior. So most people who experience MS will experience the, the first symptoms between the ages of 20 and 40 years old. What sets this one apart is some of the blurred visions, the, the coloration, um, blindness in one eye. It's a possibility. Um, learn from class also half of people with multiple sclerosis experience the cognitive impairments. So once again, the difficulty concentrating, the attention, the memory judgment. This is usually mild and overlooked. And depression is another feature of multiple sclerosis. Some lesser known dementias are frontal temporal dementia and dementia with Lewy body. So let's, we'll talk about those real quick and we'll wrap it up. Um, basically one thing that sets the FTD apart is the progressive degeneration of the temporal and the frontal lobes impacting once again, the decision-making, the executive skills, and there is an account for lower mood and the decreased motivation. For dementia with Lewy bodies, you'll notice the same you know, cognitive changes, fluctuating cognition. And what sets this one apart is when I, when I was researching this, it said 
they'll have well-formed visual hallucinations and typically of small things like toy soldiers and things are really irrelevant and small so that's just something I thought that stuck out and also a suggestive feature includes REM sleep behavior disorder so also some supportive features are falls autonomic dysfunctions delusions and depressions so yeah we went through some we went through some disorders hope this all made sense um once again, i just wanted to give you some exposure and some information on the different neurological disorders that you heard hear about and some of the phrases to help make sense and put them in the right place so what is a syndrome what is a disease what is a symptom what role does it play what is dementia and alzheimer's and strokes and tbis and parkinson's and all that so i hope that was helpful to you as it was for me uh, just learning about the different similarities and differences of brain diseases. I hope you just stay tuned. We got some, once again, we got some upcoming interviews, got some good episodes on the way. Uh, keep me in the prayers and I'll do the same for you. And I will catch you on the next go around. Peace. You've been listening to the Skelton Report. Mark is an expert in mental health, psychology, empowerment, and self-improvement. This show is informative about science, research, and literature within professional psychology. If it's neuroscience, psychology of fear, brain foods, psychoanalysis, diving in depth about therapy and depression, and speaking to stigmas and issues within the minority and church communities, it's all here. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you got some practical and useful information. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Skelton underscore Neuro. Check out the website at SkeltonNeuroCounseling.com. And if you have questions or comments, email Mark at SkeltonNeuroscience at gmail.com. Till next time, this is the Skelton Report, signing off for now.